Joining me today is Jody Archambault, a great friend of mine and a great friend of Indian country, um, who uh, is uh, continuing to work to raise awareness of the challenges that Native American people face, but also um, the contributions that they're making. And uh, Jody, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Senator Heidkamp. It's always a pleasure to visit with you. Well, you know, I, I, I can't help but think as we're looking at Black Lives Matter and, you know, I've been trying with every kind of national uh, appearance that I make to, to raise awareness that it's not just African-Americans who have been uh, uh, victims of long-term systemic racism and, and actually genocide, that we have to not forget our first Americans, not forget um, Native Americans. And, you know, nothing has really... Um, been said or I think elevated the way it should be given what's happening on the Navajo right now um, with uh, COVID, um, given that we continue to see missing and murdered Indigenous women and people not paying attention and we haven't yet been able to pass even the simplest of legislation that would provide security um, or at least some hope for security for Native women. And I'm, I wanted to visit with you on the hot dish about how does how is the Native American community responding to what they're seeing right now in terms of the massive protests and um, both epidemics that have hit uh, Native people, um, you know, both the epidemic of racism and the epidemic of uh, uh, Corona? Um, and, and, you know, I don't think there's enough attention to what's going on. So I wanted uh, to visit with you about what you're hearing and what we could do to elevate the, the, the challenges um, that Native American uh, folks uh, face right now? Well, I think, uh, I think these, these are great questions and the time is now to, to really look at the systemic racism that has been brought to light. Uh, first of all, I wanna just thank and stand in complete solidarity to the, uh, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, the, the entire country is gripped with these questions that we've been putting off for a long time uh, as it relates to incarceration rates, the, the way that the, the police forces look at different kinds of situations with different lenses of bias and culture built in these um, organizations. Um, I, you know, I, I also understand that there's times to, at least for myself, there's times to be a good ally by listening. I'm, I'm trying to learn how to be uh, a good listener when it comes to what's affecting Black Americans, because I know that if I can listen, I, I'm hoping that people will listen to Native Americans um, in in some order of sequence, or if, if people can draw the distinctions, you of course represent North Dakota, North Dakota, which has a, a large population of Native Americans, so you're very familiar with the issue. But by and large, uh, American American Indians, Alaska Natives, or Native Americans, if you if you will, have been largely made invisible. Uh, in the larger politic, uh, not just in the politic, but in curriculum, in the news. Uh, and only in certain instances, we get the, the limelight. Uh, and usually it is a story of, of the horrific situation that's happening. 
so I, you know, I'm trying to understand how to be a good ally, how to learn uh, about what's happening to other peoples in, in these systems and, and stand with them and also behind the scenes educate as much as I can about how related the two issues are. Um, when it comes to the, um, the mass incarceration, the, the high rates of incarceration of Black people, uh, I'm more familiar with the Native American uh, incarceration disparities. And in North and South Dakota, we have some of the highest rates across the country for any race. Uh, this isn't one to say, I'm not, I'm not saying that we have it worse or there's no comparison for uh, the sheer numbers of Black Americans, Black men, women, and children that are um, locked up behind bars. Uh, but there, there's also a similar related, similarly related problem with um, American Indians. And, and I've lived through some of the, the ways that that happens, uh, being a citizen um, of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and also uh, dually with the state of North Dakota. So it's, it's always good to, to think about how to be a good ally, but I appreciate you making the, the point that there are related issues in Native American uh, communities. When it comes to COVID, those are those are some of the s similar issues, and we can talk more about that. But the the health disparities fall into the same kind of category where not a lot of people know that there's there's a lot of disparity there to begin with, and that just exacerbates when COVID does hit the reservations. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's always a challenge, and and I remember when Al Franken and I were on the committee, um, we just said, look, our colleagues who have no experience at all especially with Plains tribes, I mean, they have no awareness. And, and um, you know, it was always a challenge to try and raise your hand and say, hey, um, pay attention over here. Um, one of the, one of the uh, kind of similarities that I always talk about um, in my work with childhood trauma is the fact that you have generational trauma that's passed on from generation to generation, given the, uh, the, abominable kind of treatment that both um, African-Americans and Native Americans have received historically. And, and so these things, when people say, well, look at the rate of chronic disease, and you want to say, well, there's, there's biological reasons for that. And we haven't addressed them and we haven't given quality health care, both in the African-American community and certainly not in the Native American community, even though it's been promised. And, and, and contracted for. And so there's just, there's, there's, there's just so much more that needs and could be done. I, I wanna ask you something I've been watching very closely as, as um, so many of the activists have been approaching um, uh, statues that uh, glorify systemic racism and, and raci uh, racist um, history. Um, I, I was, uh, I, I smiled a big smile when I saw the statue of Columbus go down, Jody. I have to tell you, because um, people can say, well, why would you do that? And you want to say, look, this is exactly why you do it, because now people are wondering, what is it about Columbus? And when they look into the history of what happened um, uh, uh, with with the invasion of, of um uh, the Americas by the Spaniards and by people like Columbus, um, the story is horrific. Um, and, and so I was wondering, what were your feelings when you saw that statue in Minnesota of Columbus going down? Well, I just want to say that it's been a long time coming. I, I come from a 
a family who's been calling attention to the Columbus statue in Denver, uh, um, Denver, Colorado, AIM. There's, there's a lot of my aunts and cousins and uncles who've been uh, marching in Denver for a long time. And so this, this is really something that's been um, way long overdue in, in terms of um, the, the, the sort of honoring and memorializing uh, that um, America tends to um, stick to or cling to uh, the, the, the activists that came before the people that were standing there today, people like Suzanne Harjo, Clyde Belcourt, there, there's a lot of folks, uh, my aunt Jolyn, a lot of folks who've been doing um, awareness, ra- raising awareness on the issue. Um, Columbus, Columbus was was absolutely um, a, a rapist and a pillager, <laughs> to put it lightly. I mean, I'm not I'm not a I'm going to mince words here. And the the idea that we would we would continue to honor him like he was like he was a hero. He was actually lost. Everybody knows he was lost and that he didn't discover anything. We were already here um, and we're still here. So it's, it's quite a, uh, it's a, it, I think it's a, it's a, it's going to be a sea change. I mean, I think these, these bases are going to probably change. I, I think if not under Trump and eventually the, the names of the bases that honor some of the Confederate, um, soil soldiers, the, uh, a lot of American icons and symbols um, that harken back to hate um, and genocide, they're, they're going to be questioned. And, and this is this is the beginning of a, a new day. It's, it's, a, it's really an exciting time. Well, and, and I certainly hope that as we are looking at Fort Bragg and Fort Hood and understanding the history of these Confederate leaders and and being educated really for the first time for many of us um, that that we we don't forget that we have a national holiday honoring Columbus that should dramatically change and and anyone who I mean we can link to this site um, some of the amazing work that's being done to educate people on the kind of abuse um, that Columbus inflicted I, I, I sent a note to a friend of mine who's very active in the um, in the sex trafficking world, and I said Columbus, the original sex trafficker of Native women, um, you know, and and why we honor him is is beyond me. But I just had to had to say that it was great to see that as part of the discussion because I think sometimes it gets forgotten, and it's not Italian Americans who may feel like Columbus is their hero need to better understand who he was um, and and what he did, and and so. You know, and people say, well, these are symbols and this is our heritage. And you want to say, but you're ignoring the heritage of so many other people. And and it's just not um, I mean, it's just a time for that discussion. And I certainly hope that these concerns um, uh, regarding other kinds of um, idealizing uh, historical figures that we get better educated about who those folks are. And, you know, it's so interesting. And I, I try not to be overtly political on, on this um, hot dish, but I, I, I'm just a, like amazed that the president is going to Tulsa on the anniversary of that massacre against, I said, it would be like going to um, Wounded Knee. I mean, what happened in Tulsa is, is 
is comparable to the atrocity and the massacre of Wounded Knee. And then he picks Jacksonville on the anniversary of, of the event 60 years ago was a Ku Klux Klan um, uh, massacre. And then his first fundraising is with, with the pipeline company that was the um, target and, and certainly the subject of great concern in terms of how they treated American, Native Americans at Standing Rock, that's his first uh, uh, travel out of out of the country for a political event. It's it's like I don't know if the president is trying to, you know, kind of send a send a subliminal message, or if he just needs more education about how people feel and how he could do better to reunite the country. Well, I th- I think that a couple of things that the the country is in a polarized war of narrative. And I believe that the current president, I wouldn't give him too much tre- credit, but I would I would definitely really examine the ways that uh, he's been influenced by, you know, his father, who was a former Klansman, and how I think a lot of Americans have been embracing uh, that message that he's he's giving about um, race and they're they're not they're not subtle they're pretty they're pretty overt and I for the people who who don't understand how overt they are uh, that is a testament to our education system because our education system is is the first way that we make race invisible race relations the the we hide the truth of america we we hide the truth of the roots of slavery the roots of um theft land theft and chicanery that that you know happened in the in the early parts of america and then continues to happen and until we address that in a meaningful way in a broad-based way um, I, I think we're going to continue to have the, these difficulties, um, and it's further exacerbated by social media. Um, but I do think that th- it is deliberate. It isn't uh, something that is happenstance. I, I think this this uh, uh, direction that this president is headed um, would have everybody at war next year or this fall um, if he could have his way. Um, and and so I think it's it's. Um, up to the the other Republican leadership to for somebody to step out and and be a, a true leader that that is looking towards the values of accommodation, uh, peace, uh, reaching. You you dealt with the, the issue of reaching across the the aisle. I'm talking about reaching across the the race divide with experience and reaching across the the perspective divide. Um, because some people really do believe um, in their heart of hearts that he's right. If, 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 if we, so many people listen to the podcast who really don't have any kind of experience, that many of the, the folks that um, have been uh, kind of loyal followers of the podcast watched with, um, with horror what happened with Native American voting rights and you know, obviously still ask me, you know, how are things going? Um, but but I think this is a moment to expand the kind of awareness. And so, Jody, if you could just take a few minutes to to kind of 
um, uh, tell people, number one, kind of how they can get better educated who listen to this about what historically has happened with uh, Native people, Indigenous people in our country, but also um, to uh, have, a, have a discussion about how they can respectfully be part of the solution um, and, and part of the change. What, what would you say to the folks who are listening who say, what can I do? Well, first of all, I think becoming educated, learning is a, a lifelong process, and it, it really is possible to uh, become better educated. And I think uh, in your position as both former attorney general and, and former senator of North Dakota, the that education isn't doesn't just happen in a book. That that type of education happens with with interfacing with actual people. And I'm not saying that Native Americans are available to everybody all the time, but there's certainly social events in a non-COVID era, um, powwows. There's there's rodeos. There's there's a lot of different um, venues where. Um, there could be more interaction, at least locally in North Dakota, but it across the country, um, people really don't even know whose land they're on. So understanding uh, the land that America's built on, there's been a, a movement of land acknowledgement. So every time somebody does a public um, event, whether it's native or non-native, uh, there's an, uh, a land acknowledgement of the people who are still there or who were uh, wiped out or removed to a different part of the United States. But the all of America is indigenous land. Um, whether it it is now in the present tense or not, um, we believe that we actually don't belong to the, or the land doesn't belong to us, we belong to the land. So it's still a part of us, even if there's no physical Native Americans in places like, say, Kentucky, or in places like Alabama, um, is Ohio, they, they're all homes to um, some people that at some point. Um, so I think understanding where you're at. The other thing is, is to um, follow National Congress of American Indians, follow, um, if, if you're living in a city, see what other kinds of organizations are out there. Um, go and visit with those organizations and see how, see what, what the needs are. There's a lot of urban Indian organizations, more than half of Native Americans live off the reservation. Uh, the other, the other thing is, um, there really does need to be a push for better education on Native Americans. And that could be something every single state legislature can take up as a high priority. They could understand, uh, who was there? They can understand the past as well as the present, and that can that can change the course of how American Indians and and Alaska Natives are um, are treated in in policy, in the media, in in cultural types of uh, undertakings in Hollywood or uh, court decisions, you know, all of that basic information, most people don't even know we're here. And there's a great website, uh, it's called Illuminatives. And that is a place where you can learn about the erasure of Native Americans and how, and what are some active things we can do. And so the K through 12 Native American Education for All is one of their initiatives. They've been working hard at that. Um, there's also, uh, a great deal of, um, of 
states that are that have been making progress on to this end and and that's something that is for the kids but adults can get involved in that now um in standing in solidarity or standing as an ally with with native americans um who who could be pushing that um the other the other thing is the i don't know if people know this but uh, native americans have next to it's less than one percent of all philanthropic giving goes to Native Americans. So it's more like two thirds of a percent that goes to Native American causes. So people are are often wanting to help. They don't know how or where to donate. the The first thing that I would say is that uh, there are a lot of really good funds out there. There's um, like the the Native American Rights Fund. That's a, a, a 50-year-old organization that's been fighting for Native rights. There's the National Congress of American Indians. There's Indian Collective. There's Illuminatives. There's all kinds of opportunities um, to to give. And I'm going to say this really explicitly to Native-led organizations. Native-led, because there's a lot of people out there that call themselves partners or uh, there's just a lot of non-Native sort of charity organizations out there that help a little bit on the fringes, but don't do anything to build the capacity and to partner with, with the people on, on the reservations and in urban centers. So those are, those are some things that I would just recommend And every single, we're everywhere. Like native Americans are everywhere. There is, there are people in all parts of this country. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the things that I would add to this is that there are a lot of, um, efforts, uh, I think, um, uh, nationwide, but certainly take a look at what many states have done. I think South Dakota does not have a Columbus Day celebration. They have an Indigenous People Day where they actually have that conversation, similar to the kind of conversation you would have on Martin Luther King Day. Um, you know, people in the Democratic Party who still hold uh, uh, Jefferson Jackson dinners, stop doing that. Jackson um, basically ignored the Supreme Court and was one of the greatest abusers of uh, presidential abusers of Native Americans. And so don't don't just just accept the current history as we've been taught in, in school, but better understand what that history looks like. And I always recommend it, as people think about it, Color of the Flower Moon, um, the Osage Murders, and the Birth of the FBI. And it's a book about um, Native Americans who had mineral rights, who were systematically stripped of those mineral rights by horrible people, and, and the courts looked the other way. And, and so when you, when you look at this history, you assume that it ended you know, at, at the birth of the country. I forget that. I mean, it was just even, even as, as the westward movement went, you know, you can go back in the 20s and 30s and understand voting rights challenges that Native people have had. And 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 so I think, you know, Jody, we will put up um, the uh, recommendation um, uh, that you had for various groups and have people look into those groups. But you make such a great point, which is, you know, so many people say they're helping and maybe they help on the fringe. I used to smile because I would get uh, uh, groups in, in certainly in North Dakota who were angry at the tribes for not sharing their statistics. And I want to say, well, uh, about wh- whether it was domestic violence or, or whatever the issue was. And I would say that's because you take 
the statistics and you collect the money and none of that money ever finds its way back um, to great organizations who are working on these challenges right on the reservation. And and right. so it, it's incumbent on all of us, even those of us who belong to organizations that profess that we're doing things that are helpful, but but none of that ever finds its way back. And, yeah, and so- I, I do. I do want to uh, name off a couple of other books. God is Red by Vine Deloria. Um, there's a fiction book. It's called Ceremony by Le- Leslie Marmon Silko. It's just one of my favorite all time books. Um, and then there's a crate a book on Crazy Horse by Joseph Marshall. And a couple of things happen a lot of times when we talk about Native Americans. One is that uh, Americans get stuck in the past. So they really see us as what one would call anachronistic um, stature. So we're we're seen as like not really part of the present day. And so when we when we we think about um, the past travesties, the past genocide, um, that's that's an area that really uh, dictates how people see us. And I, I just want to point out that uh, the what I'm seeing with COVID is not necessarily a it is worse for places like Navajo, San Felipe, Mississippi, Banda Choctaw, horrible rates there. But I, I also would say that um, despite all of the, the issues and the problems that Native Americans have, we're, we're very resilient. We're very uh, ready for suffering. So in, in terms of like no food, we know how to hunt. We still garden. Uh, people who haven't gardened in years when COVID hit, everybody wanted to garden. There's uh, resiliency in in our languages, in the way that we look at things like the possibility of not having food, and I think we're we're very well positioned to to handle a p- pandemic, even though um, the the disparity rates dictate like really horrible things happening at places like Navajo. Um, you look at places like North and South Dakota especially South Dakota, who've just taken a, taken it upon themselves to close their borders, um, despite what the governor would like to see. The governor's representing like three farmers or ranchers out there. That's, that's my opinion. Um, but they close their borders for the safety of their people because nobody's going to come in there with lots and lots of money and ventilators. It, it, you know, we are in the Great Plains um, our demographic, if COVID takes off, we're still not in the clear. We are still scared for our lives. Um, but that resiliency is being able to act and be able to being able to understand that Native Americans have been through life and death pandemics since contact. And so this mm-hmm. is this is a time where uh, I don't like to just sit and dwell on the negative things of Indian country. I think America has a lot to learn from us on on things like scarcity, on things like um, mental health issues, because we've been dealing in a mental health kind of insanity with the federal government since since they landed, since they since they were established, since the Europeans landed, and we've been you know surviving the abuse of colonialism. So we know how to handle that. And, and, and uh, the, we know how to get through it. And, and we're actually, we're actually, uh, and, and I, I just say this because 
there is a song and dance that happens in DC and you've been a part of that song and dance. And it's like, we're going to tell you how pitiful and how bad off we are. And then you, then you might give us more money. And that hasn't even worked out very well for us. So the narrative that we make about ourselves, I'm, I'm done with listening to how people think about my people and my relatives. I'm, I'm ready to like, let's, let's teach other people how to survive in isolation with no money and no food. Like we've done that for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I, we have so much to learn. And, and the reason why I wanted to do this, Jody, is, is you started out saying you're, you're listening. Um, and, you know, I think as much as, as those of us who think, well, you know, I have a pretty good handle on this. We really don't. We haven't, I haven't lived your experience. I haven't lived, um, you know, uh, the experience that you just outlined and, and it's time for all of us to listen, but, but it also is time for native American leaders to assert their rights. Like they are in South Dakota to say, look, you know, we're, 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 we've been through a pandemic before you guys brought us smallpox. You guys brought us smallpox and we're, we're well aware of the diseases that you can bring us. And this is what we're going to do to protect ourselves. And, and I just hope that, we, we don't just see this as an opportunity to talk about the African-American experience, but that we, we also include um, uh, Native Americans and Indigenous people in that conversation, um, because I think we, we all have a lot to learn and we all have a lot of good uh, opportunities to listen, but we have to have people who are also talking if we're going to listen. Right. And I, and I do, I do want to say that, um, I have no idea what it means to be black in America. I'm not black. I I can only speak from my lived experience. And I will say that the issues that are being raised in America right now, I've experienced on a personal level. I've experienced uh, hate crimes. I, I, you know, I was walking, I was pregnant with my youngest son, George, and I was walking in Bismarck and a car full of young kids, about three high schoolers drove by and threw chicken nuggets at me. And I was seven months pregnant. I was visibly pregnant and they threw, threw nuggets at me, chicken nuggets at me and called me a dirty savage among other very bad words. Um, and that, that experience was I had, I had an excla- exclamation point on that experience because I called the cops, gave them the license plate number, and the, the police went to the house and asked them if they did it, and they said no. So the police came back to me and said, well, they said they didn't do, they didn't do that, and so we can't charge them with anything. Um, and, and with that experience, I mean, just basically, uh, I understand... I understand what it means when I say something like that. And then on the other shoe, I drive by some friends of mine last year um, who were being, they're Native Americans. They were being accused of stealing a bike by a couple of white guys who looked like they were on drugs, frankly. And the policeman detained my friend and her two, her sons who were like six, five uh, Native American young boys and was demanding them show a receipt for the bike. And I just said, you know, this accusation is unfounded and you don't have, you don't, you're not asking them for a receipt. Go ask them for a receipt. Why are you asking us for, why are you asking my friend for a receipt? 
if possession means if possession is the only thing that you ha- you just have to say something and then it's yours if that's the law this this is this i'm living in a, a, a different reality because that's not how it works normally usually you don't have to you don't have to uh turn over i you know i could just tell the cop your cop car is mine does that mean it's mine no so i i, I know there's an there's an unfair application of the law it's unequal it's it's totally different situations, completely, uh, you know, we're not heard, we're not listened to, we get accused, and it's on us to prove that we're, we're, we're innocent. And that kind of, that kind of uh, power that's just lorded over our people um, happens in the Dakotas too. It ha- it's happening with, with Governor Nome and those, those borders, like, all they're doing is protecting their, they're just, they're just protecting their elders for crime any, for crime any out loud. That's all they're doing. Those tribes are doing nothing but protecting their language. The impact of, of having COVID in Indian country means we lose our language. We lose our elders with, with tons of cultural knowledge. This is it for us. I mean, we don't have a second chance at saving our language. This is it. We're, we're on the, on the verge of, of a lot of difficulties that the rest of the United States doesn't understand. And certainly Christy Nome doesn't understand. We have to do this. This is all we have left. I mean, I I think people have watched it and, and wondered, um, you know, why, why it doesn't seem like there's much conversation going on. There's just, you know, she just saying, I'm going to do this or I'm going to court and you, want to say, well, you know, maybe, Governor, you should sit down and talk about how collectively we can all protect language, all protect our elders. And and I will tell you, um, one of the things with COVID that has just makes my blood run cold is how accepting people are of, oh, it's just old people. I'm like, these are our grandpas and our grandmas, and these are these are people who have so much more to give us. And you know, if it's not your grandma, I guess we're not going to worry about them. But you know, like you said, the, the elders represent culture, um, uh, and people again a real opportunity to understand why um, uh, Cheyenne feels so so adamant about why they need to protect their borders and why they need to protect their community. You know, no one questions when President Trump says you can't fly here from China, but everybody says, well, you you know, if, if, if this is your sovereign land and we're not going to let you come on to our sovereign land at a time of pandemic, that's somehow radical. It's not radical. This is, this is, uh, you know, exactly what people are doing throughout the country and what governments are doing, you know, our national government is doing. So how is this radical, Jody? It's also not radical because if you look at what happened in Key West, they closed Key West. The elders of Key West closed Key West. Who do you think lives in Key West? It's certainly it's certainly not minority elders. And nobody's freaking out and making them open open up their community because it's 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 beyond what the state is allowing. I mean, this is this is another situation. That's a Republican governor. He's not he's not trying to force those guys. They're a vulnerable community. If anything, Christy Nome should be sending the state police there to help them to deal with the non-native 
cowboys and ranchers who are the ones that are complaining about this. It's an inconvenience of about 20 minutes is why Christy Nome, and, and it's literally a few people. It's a handful of people who can't take their regular drives. I go to Pine Ridge all the time. It takes me about another 40 minutes to go to Pine Ridge from Bismarck. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not, I, I haven't gone lately, but I'm not going to complain for that 40 minutes if it means that I'm saving lives. If that means that I'm going to have to be inconvenienced a little bit, you know, nobody, nobody's making, making the case. Nobody listened to the arguments of the tribes when, you know, south of Mandan here was closed down. Nobody cared that we were inconvenienced. A whole goddamn 6,000 people who go to Bismarck and shop every day. We were convenient inconvenienced too when they had the the no dapple roadblock up there and nobody cared about that. Nobody was running and saying, "Oh my god, you got to open this road up." Yeah. I, you know, and and these are these are the examples and and the situations that when people understand this from the perspective um, from from a different perspective, hopefully change will come. Jody, and but but you know, I wanted so much to, to have you on and, and uh, someone with such an incredible depth of knowledge and, and commitment um, uh, to basically talk about how this could be a moment for uh, equality um, that, uh, that bridges not just the African-American community, but other disparate and, and um, longstanding historic racist um, applications of the law. And, and so you have just, I mean, what a, what an incredible um, depth of knowledge. And I hope you continue to speak out and encourage other people to speak out. And, and I hope that um, we, 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 we can um, continue this conversation as, as time goes on, because as you know, um, we started the organization One Country and, and we did that to make people more aware of rural America, um, but we also um, uh, have, a, have an opportunity, it, it seems, to get people to understand who lives in rural America, because I think there's always this attitude that it's, you know, American Gothic, grandpa and grandma and, you know, family farmers, but it's, it's much more diverse than what people realize but it's not without its challenges. So Jody, thank you so much and um, good luck. And I hope I see you in Bismarck soon. And um, yeah, again, if there's anything, anything more you want us to post on our website, because I know a lot of people will be very curious. We're willing to put up links to um, organizations that you would recommend as well as um, literature and, and books that can uh, help people better understand the challenges. Thanks for listening. And if you're really interested and you want more information and want to actually see visually what we're talking about, join us on social media at onecountryproject.org.